Now, we ended this way last night. We ended with considering the fact that marriage is war. I know that doesn't warm the cockles of your heart, but it is a fact. And when I say that marriage is war, I don't mean a war between uh, you and your spouse. What I mean is, it's, there is in marriage a deeper war that's taking place on the turf of your heart. That war is in every situation and every location of your life. It is a war between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. Uh, a war between my will and God's will. My desire and God's desire. My plan and God's plan. My purpose and God's purpose. What I want versus what God wants. And what Scripture is teaching us is that the battles that take place on the horizontal relational level take place because of that deeper war. Now what that means is, if you're ever going to gain ground up here, you have to gain ground down here. You have to get at those places where the conflict is really about kingdom of self battling with kingdom of self. I said to you, uh, think about how little of our anger actually has anything whatsoever to do with the kingdom of God. Husbands, be honest. There are few times that you have been angry at your wife because she violated the laws of God's kingdom. I'm letting that sink in. Do you feel it? Uh, wives, reflect on how little of your hurt and outrage is because this man has had the audacity to violate the principles of God's kingdom. As you march into the living room, you're not thinking, this is about the kingdom of God. I must speak with this man. <laughs> well, you know that's not what's going on. And, and so we've got to be humbly honest about how easy it is for us to be motivated by the kingdom of self. Let me say a second thing to you. The scary thing about the kingdom of self is that it's a costume kingdom. The scary thing about the kingdom of self is that it's a costume kingdom. It does a wonderful job of masquerading as the kingdom of God. And so a man will be lusting, but what will he tell himself? I'm not lusting, I'm just a man who enjoys beauty. Look at the beauty God has created in his world. That man, this is very scary, that man is actually able to look at lust and see worship. Isn't that scary? And tell himself that he's not actually lusting, what he's actually doing is worshiping God for the beauty that he's put in his world. 
woman will be gossiping. Juicy tales. And she'll tell herself it wasn't really gossip. It was just an extended personal prayer request. <laughs> and, and after 15 minutes of deliriously juicy, nasty stuff about another person, she'll say, and we really need to pray for Greta. <laughs> Costume kingdom. A man will be an autocrat in his home. Uh, a demanding, uh, critical, uh, controlling force in his home. Now he loves the power. He's living for the power. He loves to be dominant. But what he tells himself is, I'm just exercising God-given leadership gifts. Uh, a parent will scream at her children in their face things that she should not be saying. But she'll tell herself, I was just being like one of God's prophets, saying, thus says the Lord. You are very skilled at painting your kingdom of self in a way that it looks like the kingdom of God. And I would propose to you, somehow, some way, you do that every day. The Bible says, the heart is deceitful. Guess who it deceives first? I have no problem seeing the sin of my wife. But I can be surprised when mine is pointed out. Now there's, a, there's another thing that I think we need, we need to say before we move on. If, if there is a war between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God that's being fought on the turf of my heart, then here's an implication of that. It's hard for me to keep what is important, important in my life. It's hard for me to keep what God says is important, important in my life. Things that are not important rise to levels of importance. Listen, if, if you're a wife, a little messiness in your home does not rise to the level of eternal significance. It just doesn't. And, and so we have, to, we have to begin to ask the question, where, are, where have unimportant things become all too important in my life and therefore created conflict with the people that are in my life? Let me say that again. Where are there things that are not important that have risen to levels of importance that they are creating conflict in my marriage? Men, you're there too. I mean, think about this. There may be a man in this room and you've spent more focused time over this year with your fly rod 
or your shotgun than you have with your wife. Or with your computer or, or fill in the details. Things that aren't important rise to levels of importance and because they do that, they become conflictual forces in our relationships. It's very easy for unimportant things to become important. A couple years ago, I was able to purchase the first car that I've ever owned that I actually enjoy. Uh, I love this car, and um, this is embarrassing to admit, but this car made me feel different. Cars aren't supposed to do that, in case you didn't figure that out. Your car is not supposed to be the marker of your identity. But this car was. I would, I would be sitting in that car, listening to that engine hum, and I'd look out the window, and I think this person was looking in the window at me thinking, I wish I was that man. <laughs> I wish I could drive that car. Now, car's not supposed to do that for you. Over Christmas, uh, we had my niece and my nephew come to spend Christmas with us. They're from uh, Orlando, Florida, and they wanted to experience a Northeastern Christmas. We live in Philadelphia, and we were excited to have them with us. Well, they wanted to see snow. It was 62 degrees on Christmas Day. <laughs> snow doesn't do well in that heat. Uh, but we did the Philadelphia Christmas. We did the New York Christmas. New York City is just festooned with color during Christmas. It's wonderful. The day after Christmas, we did sort of the Philadelphia historical Christmas sites. And you know when you're, when you're traveling around on a day like this, you sort of eat all day long. You're, we were eating Christmas Philadelphia. Uh, it was wonderful. And at the end of the day, I suggested as an act of deep love and service of my family that we go to Starbucks. <laughs> because I like to go to Starbucks. Uh, and my nephew decided that he wanted at the end of this day of eating to have a grande peppermint hot chocolate and a big rich Starbucks brownie. And so he consumed both of those very uh, happily and we headed in the car back home. Uh, from where we were in Center City to where we needed to go, we had to travel on a road called Lincoln Drive. Lincoln Drive does this. It keeps doing this. It doesn't stop doing this. It does this for a long time. Troy, my nephew, 11 years old, was sitting next to me in the front. And at some point, he got very quiet. And I heard him say a single word. Sick! And then what, out, what came out of Troy next, I can't describe. It came, and it came, and it came, and it came. I think I saw his body getting smaller. I'm thinking, jump out of the car or something. And then what I said to Troy next was positively not true. I said, Troy, it's okay. It gets worse. I care for you more than I do the car. Uh, we 
We got home and we formed Troy's body into a cup and carried him out of the car. Another one of my nieces helped me clean up the car. The car is leather seats. I thought, this is okay. They're not absorbent. It'll be fine. I woke up in the middle of the night and with the thought that these are ventilated seats and they have little holes in them. If you would look at my car now, you can see in that seat the shape of Troy's bottom. <laughs> because the rest of the seat is polka dotted. <laughs> yeah, you get it. You see, why does that make me insane? Why would I think this is the last time Troy is ever going to come north? He will not cross the Mason-Dixon line ever again. Let alone ride in one of my cars. There it is. Uh, why would a family, a mom and a dad, worry so much about their couch and their carpet that they make their home an inhospitable place for their kids and all their friends because they're afraid of things getting worn? How crazy is that? Why is quiet get so important to us? Can I have any quiet? We yell that. <laughs> the way to create quiet in your house is yell a lot. I mean... We fight over food. We, we fight over the bathroom. We, we fight over a towel on the floor. We fight over the toothpaste. And, you know, we fight over the way that the paper goes over the toilet paper roll. Should it go over this way or back over the wall? And, and you, you go into the bathroom and you say, I can't believe it. It's supposed to go over this way. I can't believe he does that every time. And you can't, you can't go. You have to fix it first. <laughs> and you walk down the hallway and say, I do and I do, and this is the thanks I get. He can't even take the toilet paper roll. I don't know. I, why did I ever marry this man? <laughs> it's not important. You see, that's all kingdom of self stuff. It's all this. I want to be sovereign. I want to be Lord. I want the world to work according to my kingship. I want my glory. That's what it is. I will be king. I will be queen. And you will live under my kingship or you will feel my anger. That's what it is. Hear this. You will never know the peace of the king if you're trying to be the king. It's over. You will never know the peace of the king if you're actually trying to be the king. It won't happen. And that's where we get it wrong. And what we do is we think that it's about the other person. We think they're being unloving. 
We're thinking, we think they're being unreasonable. We think they're being unkind. When actually, we are not judging that person by God's law. Not by the laws of God's kingdom. We're judging that person by the laws of our kingdom. And again and again, we judge them as failing. Wow. This is an issue for everyone in this room. I, I want to say again, I wish I could say that I'm free of this. But I'm not. But you've got to start. You have to start by owning that war in your heart. You have to start by admitting your desire to be king. You have to start by admitting that you do allow unimportant things to become important. You have to start by admitting that you do judge that other person not by God's law, but by your law. You have to start by saying, perhaps my responses to my spouse are more characterized by demand than by grace. Perhaps my response to my husband, my response to my wife, is more characterized by criticism and expectation and demand and law than they are by patient, tender, loving, perseverant grace. I want to say this to you. I am deeply persuaded that what we're talking about right now has the potential to radically change marriages in this room. Because we're down below the level of communication technique. We're down below the level of spend more time together. We're down below the level of learn to do a budget together. We're down below the level of that. We're down to the level where spiritual warfare takes place. And when you're willing to look at those things, God is honored. And the Spirit of God is now able to begin to do that work of transformation in your heart. That's where we need to be. And so I want to just take uh, just a moment to pray for you, and to pray for me, as we continue to look at these very hard but very important things that really do have the potential to transform our relationships. Let's pray. Lord, I would just pray in this moment that you would give us sensitivity and openness and humility of heart. It's, it's so easy to listen to these principles and, and, and think in our minds, but, 
but what about my husband? Or but what about my wife? Or what about this that she said? Or what about this that he did? And, and Lord, please free us from that. Help us to be able to look at ourselves with honesty and humility. And Lord, we pray that You would work a process of change in us that would make our marriages more of what You've designed for them to be. In Jesus' name, Amen.